This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Great stuff. You know, the weekend, um, we, Sunay made some food there for the summer camp people. And she realized that there's not all of us that like like um, vegetables. So what some people do is they they make mince, this amazing mince, and then they put peas into that, you know, and, and, and carrots. And um, so it's almost like to disguise the vegetables so that you eat the vegetables. So some, some people just don't get vegetables. I'm, I'm not referring to myself. I may be referring to some other people here. Uh, when I <clears throat> married my wife, she realized, like, there's going to be some trouble. So she even made vegetables with white chocolate coating around it, and she hid it within other, other chocolates, you know, so that I would get to the vegetables. That's how I learned to eat vegetables. It was a process, and I'm still learning. But, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's freedom. But so um, I want to want to talk about about something that that sort of sometimes creeps into our lives very slowly, and um, and so sort of almost making sure we get our vegetables. We sometimes have to talk about this specific aspect without giving the devil any credit. So so tonight we're gonna we're gonna just pray. At the end, especially, and this this sermon's theme is no more accusation, no more accusation. And I want us to to jump to John chapter eight, and this is sort of the story where um, a woman was caught in adultery, and uh, according to Leviticus and according to the law, she actually had to be stoned, especially if there were witnesses that was brought against her. Um, we don't know where the man was. It's always funny, you know. The, the, the woman is caught, but there's there's supposed to be a man as well. But uh, and they, they obviously just got the lady, and um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were like really focusing on the law. They they were going for it by the letter. So they said, "This is how it must be done." They didn't, you know, they didn't eat anything on this, or didn't do anything on the Sabbath. They would not work on the Sabbath. You know, even today, when you go to Israel, you'll still find Orthodox Jews. Orthodox Jews are these guys with the black robes and that, you know, cool their hair, and they they will not do anything on the Sabbath. So they, even in their lifts, they um, they would not press the button in the lift because that would be work on the Sabbath. So they've designed the lifts in Jerusalem that you go in, and if you're on the 15th floor, you'll just go up from one floor to another floor, or you'll get the stairs, but you will not press that little lift knob. You know, that's how they are so into the letter. Me, of course, didn't know that myself, so one day I got in, because there's two lifts, the one that just goes to the number that you press, and the other one that sort of you're not allowed to press. So... One day, and I was there with, with some angers in Jerusalem, so I went into the wrong lift, and I, there were a lot of Jewish people there in the lift, so, so I just, like, pressed the thing, you know, and we went like, oh! and I thought, like, people are getting a heart attack, you know, because um, I've just worked on the Sabbath, you know, so it was, uh, so then I realized, like, sure, you know, it was, it was crazy, and still, even today, some people live like that, they live by the law or by the letter. And so in the context of this, there's a story of this woman that was brought to Jesus. And it was actually a setup. 
they wanted to expose Jesus. Because these Pharisees and Sadducees, they, they were <clears throat> the leaders in Jerusalem and Israel, but the Romans were ruling over the Jews. And so there was a lot of pressure on them, and they didn't want to do like anything weird or different. And so they were afraid that there's going to be an uproar, and then their own, you know, status or position is going to be taken away from them. And they, and on the other side, they wanted to follow God 100%. And so they lived by the law. And so here's this this place where this woman is brought, and and then um, Jesus sort of comes. And uh, and as they're accusing her and bringing this woman before him, uh, he says, well, you know, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. And then um, suddenly they all stop. Because they, they started, if you watch the Passion of the Christ movie, there's a part of that um, where they sort of drop these stones, they turn around, they walk away. Because they realize that, if you want to do the law, you have to do it fully. <laughs> and so Jesus almost like didn't say, oh, you bunch of sinners, but he just made a statement. He said, if you want to adhere to the law, then you have to fulfill all of the law. You know, and, and that's what sometimes if, if we look at, especially here, yeah, the rural areas, you still get a lot of people that run around and say Yeshua, Moshiach, and you can't get saved in the name of Jesus. I call them the Israelitis people. You know, they, they love Israel much more than what they love Jesus. Um, and now it's, it's sad that people want to live their life with God through a bunch of rules. Now, we must pray for Israel, and we must pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What's happening at the moment is is great um, because God is fulfilling his promises towards Israel. But you must also pray for the Muslims in Israel because God loves them just as much as he loves the Jews. You must love the Palestinians just as you love the Jews. Amen. Just as we love everyone in the world. We don't love one group more than the other. Okay? Is that true? <laughs> you know, so, so be careful when people walk up to you and say, Shabbat and Shamal and Shawat and Shawat, you know, what, 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 you know. And then you just say, no, no, no. Because somebody once came to me and said, oh, you're not saved because you didn't pray in the name of Yeshua Mashiach. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, what are you pulling on me? <laughs> You're saying that I'm not saved because I, I didn't use the Hebrew name of Jesus, you know. But, but it's, it's crazy how religious people can almost think it's easier to fulfill the law than to have a relationship. Because sometimes it is. Sometimes it's easier to, to do a set of rules and to tick off all the right boxes so that you're a good person. So that you can go to heaven. It's much more difficult to have a relationship. Can all the married people say yes? <laughs> I mean, you have to work at it constantly. And it takes humility. And it takes big words like, I'm sorry. Or just the other ones that are really difficult. I'm wrong. <laughs> Doesn't sound like worship, huh? <laughs> Especially for the men, but in any case, all the ladies are laughing, but the men are just staring in front of them. Okay, but uh, so in the in the middle of the story, Jesus Jesus looks around, and all these Pharisees and the Sadducees they walk they've just walked away, and it's just him and this lady. And now we catch up with the story in verse ten. And when Jesus has raised himself, because what he did is he wrote on the ground. We don't know what he wrote on the ground. He raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, and he said to a woman. 
Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord, because they all walked away. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to (laughs) to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and I know where I am going. So we can almost miss the whole point Scripture wants to make here. Because what starts to happen in this context of accusation, and remember one of the big names for the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So what the devil wants to do is, firstly in our lives, he wants to accuse God. And he wants to tell us in in your relationship with God, Primarily, well, God isn't really good. God isn't a good father. God is an old man with a stick up there. God is is an angry God. God is a God that is just a God of vengeance, and he wants to just destroy everybody. And, And so if he can accuse God... Like many people would say today, like, why, why if there's bad things in the world, why, do, why is God in a loving God? Now, that's typically people's perception that has been changed by accusation. So firstly, always you must know that in your relationship with God and your walk and your pursuit and hunger of God, the, the devil is going to try to come in somewhere just slightly to bring accusation towards God. Why? So that you separate yourself from God. So that you try to fix yourself so that you walk away and you think like, no, 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 maybe I can't trust God. Because if I can't trust God then, and I don't trust people sometimes because of hurt in the past, I'm going to withdraw myself. I'm going to isolate myself. And I'm going to do it my own way. Isn't that how even the temptation happened? You know, the devil doesn't come and say, Whoa, you know, Adam and Eve, you're going to be worshipped for all of your lives. He, he says, is God really, did God really say this? Did God really say that, that you shouldn't eat of that tree? Why would God say that? He's not really good because, because this is one tree. And, and, and let's focus on this one tree a little bit. Let's zoom in on this one tree. Let's forget about all the other thousands and millions of trees in the garden and in the earth (laughs) and all the goodness of everything around it, let's just zoom in on this one tree. (laughs) And isn't that how how the devil works it sometimes in your life or my life? In that one area, there's, there's always this one area where it comes in and says, yeah, God is good, but look at where you're at in this one area. That, that's how it works. And then, then suddenly we, we start to almost think like, what is happening, you know? Um, because now, now God, is, God has healed other people, but he doesn't heal me in this area. That means that either God has got favorites or he's not really good or he doesn't really listen to me. And, and, so, so, and then the accusations start. So our, the first accusation is always toward, is, is God good? And, and the, the scripture gives us a bit of a key. It says, Accusation leads to condemnation, leads to shame. Once you allow accusation towards God or towards each other or towards 
towards yourself, you will live a life of condemnation. And Scripture in Romans 8 says we, we have not received this a spirit of condemnation. To feel condemned is almost to walk with weights on your shoulders that you're not supposed to carry. It's to go through life with burdens and things that's worrying you and distracting you and, and, and almost destroying you. It's almost like a cancer. So uh, uh, accusation leads to condemnation. And eventually what the devil wants in your life is he wants to shame you. And shame is inherently, it's a very deep thing. Because guilt is sort of like, oh, I've done things wrong. But shame is as who I am as a person. And that's why from the word go, you know, Jesus was sort of set up in the place where he was born, in Nazareth. In the way he was born, in a manger. In where he was born from, from parents that people said was the Holy Spirit, you know. Uh, you were, you were born of the Holy Spirit, and and did the Holy Spirit and your mother come together, and you were born of that. Crazy stuff. <laughs> um, I, I, I could have be- believed you, but but Jesus, maybe you're a bit illegitimate. Maybe, um, and if you read the scriptures, you'll find a lot of people coming and saying, "Well, well, Jesus, how can anything good come out of Nazareth?" The place where they come from, the way he was born, the, then they just they, they, there was this constant condemnation that the devil wanted to bring on Jesus. But it starts with accusation. So here it's beautiful in the story that Jesus looks at this woman and he releases her because he obviously saw the cross, he saw where he was going to, um, but he also makes a command. He gives a command. He says, "Go and sin no more," which is crazy. Uh, how many of us actually believe that we can come to a place where we have no sin in our lives? Raise your hand. Well, it's possible according to Jesus. But according to us, sorry, you're not going to make it. <laughs> okay? Um, there's, there's not one perfect person here. So that's the good and the bad news is that the standard of Jesus that he sets out for this woman is so high that she cannot attain it herself. She needs God. And, and that's, that's the amazing thing. We can almost miss it. He says, go and sin no more. And if I was the woman, I would say, uh, Jesus, give me the seven keys. <laughs> you know, um, take me to heaven with you right now because I think that's impossible. <laughs> I, I know in my head it's, it's possible, but in my heart and in and, and, and my track record, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> and then he begins to talk to them. He teaches them and he says, I'm the light of the world. In me there is no darkness. It was actually at the festival of lights in the, in, in the Jewish culture where everyone in Jerusalem lit up these lights as a sign that the Messiah would come. And at that moment, Jesus, after this woman, in that same day, he says, I'm the light of the world. And so what begins to happen is now the Pharisees come again. They've just walked away, and they've probably plotted again and thought like, oh, okay, we've brought accusation. We wanted to catch out Jesus with accusation and this woman, and, and, and he got one up on us. So they probably went away. I'm just dramatizing a little bit. And now they come back again and say, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. <laughs> Say, because if we talk in a position of a court, 
you have to have a couple of witnesses. You know, maybe some of you have seen like, We've had these like major court cases and then the, this witness will come and say this and this witness will come and say this and this witness. And depending on the, the if there was eyewitnesses around, your story would have been validated, would have been said, okay, cool, you, you're right or you're wrong. And so now they come and say, well, you begin to do all these things and you're challenging us, but now what about your witness? What about your story? Who brings and bears witness of you. So first they accuse the woman, and now they go straight for Jesus. And then the most profound answer that he grieves here in verse 14. Are you still with me tonight? Okay, so are you you hanging on? Okay. He says, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true because of this reason. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't jump up and down and say, Have you read Isaiah 61 and Psalm 23 and Psalm 24 that prophesied, and all the prophets that spoke about me? And let me give you the five witnesses of, of how what is happening is really true. Most of the time, Jesus didn't even say that he was the Messiah. But there was something inside of him and his relationship with the Father that whatever accusation came against him, he said, I don't really care because I know where I come from. I know I come from a position with the Father. I'm a child of the Father. And I know where I'm going. I know that my life is a life of obedience and I don't live to please you I live to please him. So I only do what I see the Father do. And this is such a beautiful sort of answer to accusation and condemnation is, hey, Peter, get behind me, (laughs) Satan. Because later even one of his own disciples came and said, well, Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross. This isn't the way of God. We figured this out. You can't go. You're going to need to rule and reign here in Jerusalem, and you're not going to go to the cross. Let me tell you a couple of things, Jesus. And then Jesus just looked at him and said, Peter, you're being influenced by the devil. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. I've been settled in my identity. That's what means where I came from. But I know where I'm going. I'm Living by faith and obedience towards him. Are you with me tonight? So it's a beautiful sort of story, but you can almost, you know, we, we, we read the story and, and the Bible just in little segments and a verse a day keeps the devil away. But we almost, we almost miss the whole plot because many of it goes on to each other. Now let's, let's give you some background here in Revelations 12 to show you what the devil does and, and, what Jesus came to do in Revelations 12, verse 10 to 11. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Now we always quote verse, the verse 11. We psych ourselves up. But it's in the context of the accuser of the brethren being cast down. And so the scripture almost says to us that 
Even before the throne of God, the devil goes in and he accuses the brethren. The brethren is not the men, it's everyone, okay? It's all of us. So he walks in and he says, God, but you should actually strike her. God, you should actually come down on her. Lord, you should actually, because he accuses. And so remember, accusation can come towards God, but then also towards us or towards people around us. And sometimes the spirit comes into the church. And you can pick it up by people slandering, people speaking negative things. And, and then it normally goes like this. Um, do you know, I, I, I want to I talk to you about that, um, that guy Tremaine. You know, he thinks he's, he's, because his name is Tremaine, he thinks he's a main guy, you know. He thinks he's a main intercessor here. And, um, and, and I really want to ask you, brother, that you'll please pray for Tremaine, you know. Because Rude is his girlfriend. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, the Bible talks about this is the day that the Lord has made, but no, nothing of a Rude, you know. So, I'm, I'm just joking, but so. But 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 I want to I want to sort of you know I, I want to I've been picking something up in the spirit I've I've been sensing something in my spirit about these two uh, you know there's there's actually um, and, and and I'm just sharing this with you so that you can really pray and intercede for them but, but because there's there's really something it's just something small but it's actually huge in their relationship that is that is not so cool. Uh, have you have you seen the way that he sits next to her in church in the front row? I, I think there's no space for the Holy Spirit between the two of them. <laughs> but so, I, I have a friend that always always told me. He says if you if you're not prepared to say something before somebody to them first, don't say anything. But it's so easy eh, how with little things the devil sets us up to accuse even the people that we love around us so that we make enemies of people and the devil laughs all the way. Even people that are unsaved. Oh, they're so bad. They're contaminated. Don't go close to them. They're sinners. Oh, you are holy. Stay away. I'm not talking about compromising and doing what the world is doing. But let's let's not do the work of the devil. Because I think sometimes the devil just laughs and says, Oh, she's doing my work again. <laughs> oh, great. She's accusing all of her friends. Oh, but much better. She's accusing herself. The accuser of the brethren, day and night, accuses us before God. Sure. But he's been cast down. He's going to be cast down. Amen. So let's, let's, let's talk about a confidence that God wants in our lives. And I'm only busy with the introduction, so I'm going to pick up some speed. Okay, hang on to your, uh, on your chairs, okay? First Peter 1, verse 18 and 19. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things, like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb of unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So, 
to wipe out any accusation, you cannot have any other reference point than to start talking about the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus does something. And we're going we're gonna to look at that. But it's it, the first thing that Peter sort of catches up to. And later on he goes on to talk about we are a heavenly a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are his own special people. So he begins to set us apart as a group of people that are different and holy. But, but he starts here at the beginning. And he begins to talk about this thing that you need to know that a price has been paid for you. There's, there's something in, uh, that, that has been put on the table. In the judgment seat of God, in the courtroom of God, a price has been paid. And that is not perishable gold or silver or things that you've inherited, but the precious blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has been paid. The blood of Jesus wipes away every accusation. You can go and read Colossians chapter 2 as well. It says that even the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that was contrary to us, has been wiped away by the cross. Sure. And more than just a price that has been paid, the second thing is that there's a mediator in heaven today. And Jesus, when it comes to the sense of accusation, where the devil says, oh, you, you've not been good this year. Oh, look at your track record of what's happened over the holidays in the past. You're probably going to fall again for lust. You're probably going to, so it's going to be the same. But listen to this in First Timothy 2 verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. <laughs> In Hebrews 12, it picks up that same theme. It says, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now he pulls these two together and he says, but in heaven there's something that comes in the place of whenever there's accusation against us. He says, not just is there nice pineapple drinks that Jesus is drinking, He's making intercession, but he's fulfilling a role of being the mediator of the new covenant. And in heaven, when Jesus died, he went up into heaven. The scripture says he sprinkled the Holy of Holies by, the, by his own blood so that you and I can have a clean conscience before him. And when we have a clean conscience, it means that we're not being attacked all the time by accusation and by stuff that bugs us all the time. I say, oh, you're so bad, Christian. Oh, you need to perform more. Oh, you're going to fail. That thing that, that constantly bugs you and makes you so tired when you want to follow God. But the Bible says the blood isn't just a sacrifice. It also sprinkles your conscience. It brings a place where there's a mediator and the blood speaks like Abel. Remember Abel? God said to Abel, Cain and Abel, the one that killed the other one, and said, your brother's blood is crying out to me. Where's your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, you just killed your brother, Cain and Abel. God says, that blood cries out to me. And so, sure, here it says it speaks better things in heaven. It speaks of who God is. It speaks of a, of a covenant with him where Jesus comes in. Okay, Mr. Fonsel, come, I'm going to use you here. The vet, come here. Okay. Mr. Australian, come here. The, we're going to pretend that the Australians are the devil. I mean, must be in an Australian accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. You have to be nice to immigrants. Come stand here on the stage. 
Okay. Okay, he's Jesus. Okay, flex your muscles. Okay. Okay, you're the father and you're the accuser. Okay. So, we're going to pick on. Tremaine, don't sit so back. I'm seeing you You're trying to hide. Let's find somebody we can pick on. Who wants to be picked on? Lawson, come here, Lawson. You've, you've just volunteered yourself. Come quickly, Lawson. Yeah, all the crossfitters will fix them later. So, so yeah, Lawson is, Lawson, you're going to walk over the stage and you're going to accuse him, okay? But don't touch him, just accuse him in Australian language, okay? Okay, okay come. No, no, he's minding his business. Come, you stand there. You're not, you're not performing like the devil should perform. Okay. Jesus won't represent you. He's forgotten you. You're not good enough to enter the kingdom. <laughs> Your shame has condemned you. CrossFit will save you. You think CrossFit will save you. You can heal yourself because you're a doctor. You think you can heal yourself. You think you don't need Jesus because you're a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That was brutal, eh? Did did you feel the pain? Yeah. Just, you know, how should, couldn't we say something about CrossFit in church? But the amazing thing is, every time, because you're going to go in your life, then every time Jesus comes, and this is what he does. He just stands in between. Okay? Don't flex now. And then he goes like this. Give your mouth. Okay. Now walk by. Beloved. <laughs> Washed by the blood. Chosen. Sure, this is getting better. This is getting much better. Okay? Almost married. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, seven kids one at a time <laughs> <laughs> and and the the father every time when the accusation comes then the father steps forward and says not guilty not guilty because of what Jesus has done and that's called justification it's it's one of the 101s of salvation and what we should know as christians that every time when the Father should judge us, because of the words of Jesus and the washing of Christ and the blood of Christ and the mediator that he is, the Father says not guilty. In such a way as if you have not even committed that sin. That's how far it takes away our sins, as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. Sorry, you've forgiven, Raymond. God loves Australians too. You see, but if, if we don't understand what is happening, then what we start to do is we either start to try and fix ourselves all the time or we allow those small accusations to slip through all the time. If there's sin in your life, yes, repent of that sin. 
Because then the blood of Christ has its effect on our lives. But so many times, the devil comes and just say, oh, but you're going to just... You're going to just be lonely. You're going to just be isolated. You're going to just die young. Not just does he accuse, but he also lies. Now listen to this Matthew 27. Are you still with me? Okay, and we're going to finish now, now. In, um, now, now. And they put up in eternity's language. Okay, Matthew 27 verse 37. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Some translations in, 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 in every... Gospel, it actually says that it was written in three languages, in, in Greek, in Latin, and Hebrew. And it was a, a sign here on the, above the cross. The sign was put up because for the Greek, it was their intellect. For the Jews, it was their religion. And for the Romans, they were the powerful ones. And so they, everyone is included because there was an accusation written over Christ. And if you go and study what Scripture says about what Pilate tried to do, is Pilate said, well, why are you accusing this man of all these things? But certain things had to happen before Jesus died. Because Scripture says it wiped away the accusation, the handwriting of requirements that was against us. He wiped it out on the cross. He nailed it to the cross. And so scripture is very clear that when you and I begin to approach God, if, if we don't have a basic understanding of justification and the fact of the position that Christ holds for us, then you're always going to feel condemned. You're going to feel worthless as a Christian. You're going to feel you're not good enough for God. Or you're going to feel you need to perform and you need to get into the law and get all the stuff right. I'm not talking about a false grace. I'm just talking about the way we approach God and the way we approach each other and the way we approach ourselves. It's a very simple thing, and yet, on average, so many Christians go through fear and accusation every day. And the devil wants to, wants to just trick us and say, well, maybe you don't have a purpose in God. Maybe this. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe this. Do you know that? You're not going to make it. And especially when, when we come to God, if, if, if this is sort of like a culture that you've grown up and you need deliverance, you need God to show you what that freedom means of who he is as the mediator of the new covenant. The one who wipes away all the handwriting of requirements that was against you and me. And the effect of the blood of Jesus. Now, unfortunately, people in church, in the charismatic church, the, the church is powerless because you never hear people talk about the blood of Jesus anymore. We talk about great life coaching skills. We talk about great being the better you yourself. You know, just like you're more than a conqueror. You're like, oh, you know, you're like great. You're going to make it. God has all these promises. Yes and amen for you. But there will be no power in the church unless we understand the effect, firstly, of the blood of Christ on our own lives that sprinkles our conscience when you stand before God. And then when you start to intercede from that place for the world, for the nations, for the trans-bodied people, for the pledge rages, for the summer campus, for your family, you don't intercede from a place of accusing. You intercede from a place of blessing and loving. Because you know what Christ has done for you. You know that you are free from accusation and therefore you are not going to accuse others. Oh, you sinner. Oh, you're going to burn in hell. Do you just know this? Instead of, there's life in Christ. He's the light of the world. 
In him there is no darkness. And his witness is true. His witness is true. So let me just leave you with one more scripture. Are you still, all still with me? Again, Romans chapter 12, because you must actually read the whole book of Romans. The book of Romans is the best book on um, understanding the themes of salvation and what Christ did for us. If you want a good doctrinal book, read the book of Romans. It's, it's great. It talks about salvation and identification and transformation and all the different themes, you know, and he, and he starts to pick up here in Romans 8 on this thing called condemnation and the whole struggle that many of these people had with the law and trying to perform and trying just to be better Christians and all that stuff. And he says there, there is, you know, it's only in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives life, but the law brings condemnation. It brings like you're always going to be weighted down because you open up doors for accusation in your life. And now you pick up in Romans 12, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then sort of the part that I want to pick up on, it says, or I say, though the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He sort of warns us, he says, the only, the only way where you're going to stay away from accusation, where you're going to stay away from condemnation and eventually shame, because that's where the devil wants to do, he, he wants to shame you. He wants to just pull out the carpet under you and say, well, look, you, you are ultimately you are a failure. That's what he tried to do with Jesus. He went for Jesus and he was gunning for him. He accused him, tried to condemn him. He even let the people around him run away from him. And, and all he wanted to do is thought, I'm going to push you to the cross. And at the cross, hanging naked there, I'm going to shame you. But isn't it beautiful in Hebrews 12? It says, he despise the shame. And he went to sit at the right hand of the Father. He broke the power of condemnation and shame. And especially any right of accusation that the devil has. But the writer warns us a bit and says, think soberly. <laughs> and if he says, think soberly, it says, don't be drunk. Don't, you know, don't be plate rager. Don't go there. <laughs> Don't be spiritually drunk to deceive yourself that you can do it in your own righteousness. When you present yourself, when you even become holy, when you are diligent, and when you're doing all these things, that doesn't qualify. It's not going to give you a clean conscience by what you do. Only by what he has done. And that's why he says, think soberly. Don't think of yourself as being so great. And that should actually be the message of the gospel. Well, we don't find that in the modern charismatic church anymore. Everybody in the modern charismatic church says, Dylan, you are so great. You're so amazing, wonderful. You're uniquely made in the image of God. You are fantastic. And scripture says, think soberly. Don't think too great of yourself. You're nothing. <laughs> There's no good person. Humble yourself. Because what that, hap what that does, it brings a, you to a place of brokenness. 
it brings you to a place of dependency. But that's the most beautiful place. The whole world is saying, don't be vulnerable. Don't go to the place of trust. Don't go to the place of surrender. Don't go there. And here the writer says, no, present yourself to God. Throw your bodies, throw everything before God. Humble yourself before God because in that place you're going to find you're going to find a peace. You're going to find a joy. You're going to find a righteousness that Jesus gives you. You're going to find what it means to be justified, where you're free from accusation. And you also then walk away from any accusation towards others. But you know why we say some bad stuff about other people sometimes? Because we want to feel better about ourselves. <laughs> Do you know why the people slander and skinner and all that stuff? Because even sometimes of us as a church, You hear all these rumors. Oh, those shofar people. And then you ask them, have you been there? No, but I've heard. Oh. It's like saying, I went to eat at Steers. But I haven't eaten actually there, but they've got bad burgers. Oh. Bad burgers? So have you eaten a burger? Mm-mm. I've heard. Oh. Where's Steers? No, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Somewhere out there. But if I can stay and keep things far away from me, then I won't be exposed to my own vulnerability. And I won't be shamed. So what I start to do is I shame others. And let me tell you, in South Africa, we're in big trouble. And I want to give you good news. I want to give you the bad news first. The bad news is there's innocent blood that is crying out before God day and night of murders and killings and bad stuff happening. The good news is that the church is the only answer and rising up and saying, Lord, the blood of Jesus, have mercy. The church is the only one. Because you know what the devil does over our nation? He says, well, God, all this bloodshed, your wrath must come. Your judgment must come because innocent blood is shed. Therefore, South Africa is doomed to destruction. And that is the way we are going. But God. But when the people of God begin to realize the effect of the blood of Jesus, not our fancy dancing, not our fancy smoke screens, not our fancy worship songs, but when we step in as mediators between God and man, and we realize there's one mediator in heaven, Jesus Christ. But now we can become priests and we intercede and say, God, let your blood have the effect on our nation for which you died. Whoa. The other day we were in Parliament just praying prayers of repentance. Of what different groups did to each other. And whoa, what a freedom. <laughs> what an amazing moment. <laughs> Where the church just walks right into the situation and say, God... We're standing between the living and the dead. Bring your life. But think soberly. And so tonight we're going to end off. I'm going to ask the worship team to come to the front. Because we're going to spend 20 minutes. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to, to break any hold of accusation over our lives. And then we're also going to ask God. We're going to ask God, say, Lord, free us from accusing others. Because, Lord, I don't want to be a tool in the hands of the devil 
that always accuses the people, and especially those around me, because, you know, it's, it's sometimes just these small things, and then you, you wake up and you think, yeah, yeah, no, no, I've expected that of him. No, he's really, he's really like that. Now, now you, you may not talk to so many people as I do, but in the past couple of months, it is crazy. I'm, I'm a pastor, and then people would walk into the office and say, you church, you always do this. And I say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Always? So, so, so how long have you been around? We've been here for 25 years. You're using the word always. Sure. Just because you had one experience, maybe a negative experience, doesn't justify what you are saying. Because you're now being used by the devil to accuse the body of Christ. Be careful. <laughs> Let's talk about that hurt. Let's talk about that pain. Maybe we must fix it. But don't use always. Oh, you never. Hmm. Never. Never. Sure. It's quite a word. <laughs> but isn't, isn't like, oh, Jacob Zuma always does bad things. So we slip into perception and then we begin to speak from that position of accusation. But what eventually happens is we open a wide door for ourselves. The devil walks into your life and he begins to accuse you of stuff and then slowly you get depressed. Slowly you start with condemnation. Slowly you start to believe things. Scripture says that some Christians have even been taken captive by the devil to do his work in their own lives and in the lives of others. But that's why there's good news. The good news is there's a mediator. There's the blood of Jesus Christ that brings us to a place of freedom where you can walk up to somebody and say, hey, there's, there's an answer for you. His name is Jesus. <laughs> In him, there's no darkness. There's no accusation. There's no lying. There's no evil thoughts. Have you ever thought that? I, I, I was thinking the other day. It took me about five hours. I was thinking about it. I was just sat and I thought like, Okay, this, I'm going to try to figure this out. God does not think evil because there's no evil in him. Sure. Sure, sure. Everything I know and everyone I know has got some sort of evil or th- operates from a position of sometimes saying bad, something bad. The other day, somebody just like put something bad on Facebook. Somebody I know. And he had a bad hair day. So he WhatsApp me and said, sorry, I made a mistake. I said, well, you're forgiven. Because we all have bad hair days. But God hasn't. He doesn't think evil. He doesn't dream evil. He doesn't plan evil. He never accuses. Sure. And when you understand that, just if that's the only thing you understand tonight of God, of his goodness, that he does not stand in front of you and he accuses you. Because when you're blood washed, he looks at you through what Jesus has done. (laughs) Then suddenly your relationship with God changes. Suddenly the shame goes out. Suddenly we are open to share even our bad stuff. And the revelation that you have of the blood of Jesus is equal to the revelation or the 
vulnerability in which you can share your weaknesses and your sins with others. If there's a spirit of accusation in your life, then you're always going to cover because you think that sin is so bad, it's going to destroy you so much, and it's what about what people think and all that stuff, but you're always covering all your sins. You're always covering all your bad stuff. You're always like, you're always running away from that because you don't want people to see you so afraid of being condemned. And lots of the church is trapped there. They've not stood before Christ and said, oh, Lord, I've been set free. I'm free of accusation because of the blood of Jesus. My conscience can be clean before you. There's some of you that's so afraid that you're not going to make it. You're going to fail. You're going to fall off the bus. You're not going to make it to the end. You've started to believe a lie from the devil. But there's a mediator of the new covenant. There's a blood of sprinkling. I'm so excited. (laughs) Because when the people of God begins to realize that the power of the blood of Jesus, we're going to see the most amazing miracles. We're going to see the power of God manifest in ways that we've not seen. Not in the way we pray, not in the way we lay hands on them, not in the way we pursue the supernatural, but in the way we stand before God free and then living from that place. And then sinners are going to feel welcome in the church because they're not going to feel judged all the time. There's going to be genuine conviction and they're going to run to God and say, what must we do to be saved? Because they don't feel judged and accused all the time. They feel there's an invitation. We want that. We want what you've got. We want what you've got. Will you stand with me tonight as we're going to pray? And especially if you're going on holiday. That's always where we weigh stuff up. We look at the year. We look at all that stuff. And then sometimes people open a massive door where the devil comes in and he just like puts all the evidence on the table and he says, your witness is not true. Just like the Pharisee with Jesus. They did it all the time. They attacked him. The devil attacked him on, if you are a son of God, if you're really a son of God, you're not a son of God. Look at you. Look at you, Jesus. You didn't do anything great. You didn't build any buildings. You didn't do any committee things. Even your own people ran from you. What a shame. Naked on your own. Save yourself if you're the son of God. Put your, pull yourself from this cross. Why would you allow this to happen? But the way of the cross is foolishness. <laughs> That's why scripture says Jesus himself will become a stumbling block. Will become a rock of offense to many people. To the Greek, to the Jew, to the powerful, to the intellectual. Because everybody must come to that place before the cross. And realize that I must think soberly of myself. <laughs> I must bring my sins before him and say, Lord, I want to exchange. I want your blood to wash me clean. So maybe you are here tonight and you're like a beautiful Christian. You're doing all the good stuff. But you've got a problem. Your conscience is bugging you all the time. And you can't have proper quiet times with God. You, you've, you've lost just just that passion for him because when you come into his presence boom, accusation boom, condemnation boom, shame and then what we do is we withdraw and then we pretend 
En dat Afrikaans is ons korakskyn heilig. Hypocrites. And the church, the charismatic church is full of skyn heiligheid. Where the Saturday Christian and the Sunday Christian is not the same person. And I must talk about the Afrikaans word here. Skyn heilig means we have a form of holiness. We have a form of godliness. But there's no power. The blood of Jesus has no effect. Because we're trying to do it in our own holiness, in our own strength. So I want you, if God is speaking to you tonight, and you have that conscience, He's going to set you free tonight. Because that's what the blood of Jesus does. If you're full of accusation, you never feel worth, or you've started even to go to start to accuse other people. Oh, the church. Oh, you, that small group. Oh, those people never do that. It's because you're afraid and because you're hurt and because you don't want to be vulnerable. Just be honest. Start to open up before God and say, God, no more accusation. No more. Because you've wiped out. God invites us. And that's why Hebrews 10 says, I have boldness to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus. A new and a living way. I can stand before him and shout from the rooftops and say, I'm free. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. He set me free. I'm not competing with anybody else. I know where I come from. I know where I'm going. And I'm interested in his opinion only. So if God is speaking to you, maybe you don't have a relationship with him. I want you to come to the front because we're going to just take some oil. We're going to anoint you. We're going to pray that that you have that freedom just to worship Him, just to be who He's called you to be. Not to try and be somebody else. Don't try to be a Sias. Don't try to be a Ruday. Don't try to be any. Don't try to be like us. Imitate Him. Father, we thank You tonight that You are sprinkling consciences and You making people just free before You again today. Thank You for the blood of Jesus that has its effect and we want to say, Lord, over lives tonight as people are coming to the front, that there's a mediator. There's a mediator. There's a blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Sure, Lord. To be called the son of God, a daughter of God. What a freedom. The world has got no hold on us because we know where we come from. We know where we're going. Jesus, tonight, we bring you our light. We bring you our darkness. And we ask that you will shine your light on us. Lord, come and stand before us. Let there just be light. Because you said, in you there is no darkness. In you there is no accusation. In you there is no evil. Father, we repent that we have believed sometimes the lie that the devil brings to us. We believe, Lord, sometimes that that you're not good, that you're not a father that cares, that you're going to just leave us orphans, that you're going to just some other time walk away. But Lord, just like a husband and a wife, Lord, on their wedding day will speak these vows to each other. So we want to renew our vows to you today. Jesus. Will you just pray after me? Just pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, tonight I realize I must think soberly and not high of myself. Because in me, 
there is no light. But Jesus, you are the light. Tonight, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I surrender everything to you. And Lord, I repent of trying to be good and trying to save myself. But here I am, Lord. Wash me with your blood. Cleanse me and give me your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, that you are my mediator. And you said, whoever calls on the Lord shall be saved. Tonight I call on your name. Save me, Jesus. Renew me. Refresh me. Restore me. I thank you that I'm part of the bride of Christ, awaiting your return. Thank you for a clean conscience before you. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you break the power of the law over me, the power of performance, of trying to do it right. I thank you, Jesus, that you finished the work. So tonight I just surrender. Shine your light into me. Expose all my weaknesses, Lord. Expose all my pride. I thank you for your life and your life in abundance. Hallelujah. I just think there's, there's still some people here that, that there's been some things that has happened in your life that you just, you've maybe not recognized that, but there's somebody here, one of your family members has committed suicide and, and there's a constant condemnation over your life. And the Lord wants to set you free. It's not your fault. It was not your fault. There's somebody that has said something over somebody and it destroyed that person. And you can't forgive yourself, but the Lord has forgiven you. And you need to give him that pain. You need to give him that hurt. There's a lady here that are dreaming these dreams, these occurring dreams all over. And you just, you've been praying about it. You've anointed your room, but it just comes back. Just give it to God. We need to agree on that with that specific lady. There's a guy here, constantly you're, you're having these perverse dreams. And you've been crying out to God, but you feel so condemned. You've gone into a cycle of condemnation. You pray, but you actually pray out of fear, and the Lord wants to deliver you from that fear. Just say to him, Lord, here I am. Bring the power of your blood into my life. There's some of you that have got cycles or habits in your life and God wants to break it. He wants to break it over your life. Just give it to Him. But don't take it back. Don't hold it back. Because some of us grab it back because we try to be, we try to pretend that we're good. And God says, no, just be broken. Just be honest. Just be vulnerable. Just give it to me. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.